bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 7, 2010. In this week's podcast, I'll discuss the latest status of tax extenders legislation and other developments from the current, ongoing, lame duck session of Congress. Then, I'll discuss a bipartisan letter that expressed support for an extension of the Section 1603 Renewable Energy Cash Grant Program. The letter was being circulated among U.S. Senators. I'll also describe a regulation change at the Department of the Interior that's expected to facilitate development of new energy projects on the Atlantic Outer Continental Shelf. In our low-income housing tax credit discussion, I'll share an announcement from HUD regarding $16 million that's available for reallocation under the Tax Credit Assistance Program, or TCAP. I'll also discuss recent IRS guidance regarding bond issuance. This guidance has raised some doubts about the use of the drawdown structure for affordable housing financing. And in New Markets Tax Credit News, I'll review the latest QEI, or Qualified Equity Issuance, report from the CDFI Fund. I'll also share news about the Capital Magnet Fund. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general tax credit news, we'll discuss the Deficit Commission, and then we'll discuss the status of extenders. Starting with the Deficit Commission, last Friday, the President's Bipartisan Deficit Commission was unable that's right, unable to reach consensus on a proposed deficit-cutting plan. Now, the proposal did receive a majority 11-7 vote, but that majority vote was three votes short of the 14-vote supermajority. That 14-vote supermajority was a threshold that was needed to assure advancement of the proposal. With all three House Republicans voting no and Democratic lawmakers split, the 11-7 vote means it's unlikely that the proposal will get a vote on the floor of either the House or the Senate. Commission Co-Chairman Erskine Bowles, President Bill Clinton's former Chief of Staff, and retired Senator Alan Simpson, as I mentioned, they were the co-chairman, and they've spent 10 months on this project. Now, Politico is reporting that President Obama is expected to include some of the ideas from this commission in his upcoming budget for fiscal year 2012. That budget is expected in February. We also expect other parts of the deficit reduction plan to be included in other legislation introduced in the House and in the Senate. Just the package as a whole is what we're not expecting a vote on. Turning to extenders, last week, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus introduced legislation that would permanently cut taxes for the middle class. Senator Baucus's bill, the Middle Class Tax Act of 2010, would extend for two years the Section 1602 LIHTC Cash Grant Program, would extend for two years also the Section 1603 Energy Cash Grant Program, and the GoZone LIHTC Place and Service Date. The bill would also make disaster credits eligible under the Section 1602 Exchange Program. Furthermore, the legislation extends for two years through 2011 the New Market Tax Credit, permitting a maximum amount of QEI, Qualified Equity Investments, of $5 billion. 
The bill also allows the new market tax credit to be claimed against the alternative minimum tax with respect to qualified investments made between March 15, 2010, that's March 15th earlier this year, through January 1, 2013. The measure also would provide an additional $2.5 billion in funding for the Section 48 CAP-C Advanced Manufacturing Tax Credit. You can find a copy of the Bacchus Extenders legislation on our website at www.novaco.com and simply go to the Hot Topics button. Now this legislation was voted on last Saturday and was voted down to no one's surprise. And after a few other what are being referred to as posturing votes in the Senate that were held on Saturday, we then had breaking news yesterday evening, Monday night. This breaking news came from the White House and a speech at about 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, President Obama announced a tax compromise with Republicans. Under the compromise agreement, and the agreement was between the White House and Republicans, numerous Democrats have pointed out there's not agreement among the House and Senate Democrats, but this agreement between the White House and Republicans would do the following. It would extend the current income tax rates on ordinary income for two years for all income levels. That would mean a top rate of 35%. It also extends for two years the top rate of 15% for dividends and capital gains. The agreement allows 100% expensing for certain equipment purchases will be placed in service in 2011. For employees, it reduces the Social Security tax from 6.2 to 4.2% for one year. The agreement does provide an extension of unemployment insurance for 13 months, and the agreement caps the estate tax rate at 35%, and that cap is for two years. It also provides a $5 million exemption. Now, after the announcement, I did learn that the agreement also includes traditional extenders, like the research and development tax credit and the sales tax deduction. It's believed that it also includes the new market tax credit, along with the offset against the AMT. As I record this podcast, it's unclear what other parts of the Bacchus Extenders Bill is included in this agreement. It's unclear what's considered a traditional extender, those that are regularly extended, and those that are not considered a traditional extender. I have heard that 1603, the Cash Grant Exchange Program, and the 48-CAP-C Energy Tax Credit is not part of the deal yet. There was a lot of encouragement, though, for a lot of parties in the negotiations to continue to push for what might be referred to as these non-traditional extenders. Now, also today, Tuesday, that's when the House and Senate Democrats were going to meet to discuss this Obama-slash-Republican compromise. As I mentioned earlier, some Senate Democrats and House Democrats have already voiced objection, or at least some level of dissent, to the agreement. So if you want to get some quick updates, updates in 140 characters or less, I'd encourage you to follow me on Twitter. I tweet under the name Novogratic, no surprise, and I do expect I'll have a number of breaking news tweets this week. Some days are probably very heavy in terms of these breaking news tweets as I learn more as to what has 
and has not been agreed to. Turning to renewable energy tax credit news and, and continuation in terms of the emphasis in the Senate to extend the Section 1603 cash grant program, last week a bipartisan group, a group of 26 senators, sent a letter to Senate leaders urging a two-year extension of the 1603 cash grant program. This is the cash grant in lieu of renewable energy tax credits. They are encouraging passage of this extension during the lame duck session. Most of our listeners know that the property has to be placed in service this year or significant construction started this year, or there's one other test that you have to meet this year in order to be eligible for the cash grant program if it's not placed in service until next year. And if you want to learn more about those qualifications, I'd encourage you to contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office. But back to the letter. The letter was addressed to Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus, and Finance Committee Ranking Member Charles Grassley. The letter credits the program with creating tens of thousands of jobs and encouraging the development of tens of thousands of renewable energy projects. The Senators also cite a survey of renewable energy tax credit industry participants where they expect a drop of 56% in financing for renewables in 2011 if Congress does not extend the program. The letter reasons that the 1603 program did not create a new federal incentive but instead allowed renewable energy projects to use existing investment and production tax incentives and as such shouldn't have as great a cost. The letter also makes the case for allowing public power entities to also use the program. You can find a copy of the letter online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Now, I'd point out that the letter contains 25 Democrats and one Republican signer. On the Republican side, Senator John Ensign from Nevada is circulating a similar letter, and he's trying to get more Republican support. So he did not sign on to this letter. He's circulating his own letter, and hopefully in the coming days, he'll be able to demonstrate a lot more Republican support for extension of the 1603 program as well. Now also, a couple of weeks ago, on November 23rd, in the wind energy area, Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar launched a Smart from the Start wind energy initiative. This initiative is designed to facilitate the siting, leasing, and construction of new wind projects on the Atlantic Outer Continental Shelf. The Department of the Interior says that the accelerated leasing process is being simplified enabling leases to be issued in 2011 and 2012. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Regulation Enforcement is proposing a revision to its regulations, and it's these revisions that will simplify the leasing process for offshore wind in situations where there's only one qualified and interested developer. The revision eliminates a redundant, and therefore obviously unnecessary, step and will potentially save up to 6 to 12 months in the leasing process. Under this Smart from the Start initiative, the Bureau will work with state partners within the next 60 days to identify wind energy areas off the coast of a number of Atlantic states, including Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, Virginia, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts. Wind energy areas are offshore locations that appear most suitable for wind energy development. Additional wind energy areas will be identified in 2011 for other Atlantic states, which may include areas offshore of New York, 
Maine, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. The Bureau will also assist in developing site assessment data and evaluating potential wind energy areas leasing. If no significant impacts are identified in wind energy areas, the Bureau says it will offer leases in these areas by the end of 2011 or early 2012. Further, to address the need for transmission infrastructure to bring this offshore power onshore, the Bureau says it will move forward aggressively on a parallel track to process applications to build offshore transmission lines. The identification of wind energy areas should assist the siting and feasibility reviews associated with potential offshore transmission lines. The Department of Interior says key aspects of this Atlantic Wind Smart from the Start initiative are being modeled on successful efforts that are helping to launch major solar energy projects on U.S. public lands in the West. Now, speaking of those efforts, one such solar energy project on public lands is being profiled in the December issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. If you're not already receiving this one-of-a-kind monthly magazine, you can request a sample copy. Simply send an email to products at novaco.com, or you can call 415-356-8000. A subscription to the journal is a great complement to the Novogratz and Company's Renewable Energy Tax Credit Handbook. And you can learn more about both resources online at www.novaco.com slash products. In low-income housing tax credit news, HUD recently announced $16 million in TCAP reallocation of funds availability. Specifically, HUD announced the availability of application information as well as other requirements for the reallocation of Tax Credit Assistance Program, or TCAP, funds. This funding opportunity makes approximately $16 million available to, to assist housing projects, and the projects, though, have to have received low-income housing tax credit awards between October 1, 2006 and September 30, 2009. The funds can be used for capital investment in eligible low-income housing tax credit projects in accordance with the notice CPD Notice 09-03. Information regarding the application process, funding criteria, and eligibility requirements can be found online at www.hud.gov. And if you need assistance with an application, simply send an email to cpas at novoco.com. Turning to the tax and bond area, IRS Notice 2010-81 is putting drawdown bond structures in doubt. Last month, the IRS issued Notice 2010-81, which provided guidance on the qualification of drawdown bonds under the Build America Bond Program. Specifically, the notice discusses the determination of when state and local bonds are considered issued for purposes of deadlines on issuing bonds. The notice provides guidance on the relevant distinction between the issue date of a bond versus the issue date of an issue. Now, while the, the ruling specifically applies to Build America bonds, it does have much broader implications for low-income housing tax credit finance projects that are using a drawdown bond structure. Developers who have used the drawdown bond structure or are contemplating its use are advised to consider the implications of the notice. Some industry experts believe that the ruling may reverse what seemed to be a long-settled practice among bond counsel. Stephen Ryan, 
an attorney at Cox Castle Nicholson, says that the most immediate question is whether or not the state volume cap may be lost with respect to undrawn portions of any drawdown bonds. He says that to date, the understanding has been, among bond counsel, they were generally quite comfortable that they could conclude that the initial draw under the drawdown structure preserved the volume cap for the entire issue of the bonds. That conclusion now appears to be, at the very least, in question. Part of the uncertainty and concern is whether IRS Notice 2010-81 will affect the administrative approach taken by state housing agencies, such as in California, the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, and how these state housing agencies administer their volume cap. So if you have any questions about the notice or its potential implications for the drawdown bond structure, I would encourage you to contact my partner, Mike Morrison, at 415-356-8000. Turning to New Markets Tax Credit news, this week the New Market Tax Credit Coalition will be commemorating 10 years of the New Market Tax Credit's existence at its ninth annual conference in Washington, D.C., CDFI Fund Director Donna Gambrell will be the luncheon keynote speaker at the event. We do expect Director Gambrell's remarks to focus on how the New Market Tax Credit Program continues to help low-income urban and rural communities. And also last week, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund released its monthly update to its ongoing Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report. This report is issued monthly and it identifies the dollar amount of allocation authority that's been issued to investors and the amount remaining to be issued to investors. In November, about $140 million of QEIs were finalized. Now, this is a decrease from October, which saw more than $200 million in qualified equity investments finalized. The $140 million that was finalized in November is also lower than is usual for this month of the year. Based upon the most recent report, there is still roughly $6.65 billion in New Market Tax Credit Allocation Authority remaining for those qualified businesses looking for financing. Now, as I've mentioned before, we do know that much much of that $6.65 billion already does have projects in mind that they've soft-circled, just haven't had an initial funding for yet. So the actual availability is a lot less than that, but still it's encouraging for qualified businesses to know that there is this large amount yet to be funded. A copy of the QEI report and a graph illustrating the amount of QEIs issued, as well as the amount of authority remaining, can be found online at www.newmarketscredits.com. You'll also find a listing there by CDE of remaining uncommitted qualified allocation authority. Now finally, Last week, the CDFI Fund also announced an interim rule for the Capital Magnet Fund. The interim rule is effective immediately. It remains largely unchanged from from the proposed rule that the CDFI Fund had published on March 15, 2010. This interim rule provides information about program eligibility and eligible uses, affordability qualifications, record retention, income determinations and rent limits, as well as the definition of rural. The CDFI Fund will accept comments on the rule until February 1, 2011. Now, if you have any questions about the Capital Magnet Fund, I'd encourage you to call my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach office. Diana can be reached at 562-432-9482. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. 
please follow me this week on Twitter, and I'll be sending breaking news on the federal tax legislation front. Of course, I'll be doing it in 140 characters or less. And please join me again next week for another edition of Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.